0: So even if you've uh, if you've only been here a couple of times, you've probably noticed that uh, this is a pretty friendly group, uh, and, and that we all kind of like to talk to each other. In fact, uh, somebody just remarked not too long ago how good it is to see people talking and you know laughing with each other before the service starts, and how great it is that the fellowship hall fills up so full of people after the service. And and that wouldn't happen if we didn't all enjoy spending time together. But, you know, if we were really honest uh, with ourselves, we don't always get that same feeling when it comes time to spending time with God in prayer. Spending time talking with him and listening and fellowshipping with him in prayer. And that must be true for a lot of folks because there are books and tapes and conferences and websites out there by the millions giving people advice on how to pray just, just type in the word prayer in an internet search engine like I did earlier this week. Depending on which one you use, uh, I saw anywhere from seventy-five million to a hundred million different articles and sites and, and books and podcasts on prayer. Uh, as every major world religion has some form of prayer, right? Uh, new Age gurus are ready with advice on how to meditate and contact the divine. There's news stories about cities and counties and townships trying to regulate when and how people can pray at public meetings uh and you already know that by and large most uh, school boards have outlawed prayer in the classroom although one author that i read this week has said as long as there are math tests there will always be prayer in school <laughs> <laughs> and, and as christians we know prayer is important right uh, and, and yet if we're honest a lot of the time prayer is a source of confusion in mysteries confusion not only with the question of what to pray and and how to pray, but wondering whether or not prayer makes a difference. With wondering why does God sometimes seem so silent to many of our prayers? Or or maybe you might ask, why does God seem to answer prayers for some folks and and not for others? And when we find ourselves on the receiving end of one, maybe after another, unanswered prayer, how are we to understand both its value And the God who loves us and desires to meet with us in conversation. Well, our Lord is going to address exactly that this morning. He's going to hit those issues directly as we go again to his teaching and our continuing look at the Sermon on the Mount. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. And I'll be reading to you just the first two verses of chapter 5 for context. And then we'll be jumping to chapter 6, which is our primary text, verses 5 to 13. Listen for the voice of the Spirit. Seeing the crowds, he, of course, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we've read your word this morning, so help us now to know and to... Love and understand all that it means. Enlighten our minds and kindle our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we leave here, Father, having seen Jesus because it's in His name that we pray. Amen. So, as I said, you know, for some people, uh, in fact, many people, prayer isn't always easy. And part of the trouble, I think, is that too many messages and books on prayer try to lay a guilt trip uh, on the listener or the reader. For not praying enough, and I'm sure I've even been guilty of doing that to you. Like, and I remember when I shared with you once about how the great reformer Martin Luther uh, once said that he knew when he had an especially busy day uh, that he would be sure to spend his first three hours of that morning in prayer. Like, like somehow that was going to motivate you to get out of bed, you know, three hours early uh, and spend that time in prayer. Because it didn't motivate me to do that either. I'll, I'll confess. So I don't want this message to imply that I've personally got it all together when it comes to prayer. I don't want to increase your guilt. But I do want all of us to learn how to pray rightly and to be motivated to pray more often. And to do that I'm actually going to tap Martin Luther again uh, for some insight he shared on today's text uh, in a personal letter that he wrote in 1535 uh, to a dear friend of his who also happened to be his barber in Wittenberg, A man by the name of Peter Beskendorf. And Peter not only had a reputation as a master barber in Wittenberg, but he also had a reputation for godliness and for sincerity in his love for God's word. And on this one particular visit to his shop, uh, he asked Luther for advice on how a common man like him could pray to a high and holy God. You got, have to kind of understand the context of this question first and ask it that because for one thing, he would have been raised in the Roman Catholic system that espoused prayers to saints and angels and to the Virgin Mary uh, with the idea to enlist them in bringing our needs before the Father and and trading on their good names I guess you could say and their excess virtues to add weight to the request that was being made. And for another thing remember he's coming from the background of a very stratified social structure with serfs and peasants low on the one end and the high nobility on the other uh, end of the spectrum. And in that type of environment, a person in a lower social class would never dream of speaking to one of their veterans unless they were spoken to first. And it was very unlikely that that would ever happen, uh, because the aristocracy would never even take notice of someone beneath their rank unless they needed someone to wait on. So Peter's question makes sense when you think about it. How could someone like him, a, a humble local tradesman in a small college town, actually address the God of the universe? So the question is not surprising. What really surprised me, however, was that Luther took the time out of his immensely busy schedule of you know only reforming the whole church and reshaping Christendom to write his Barbara a 34 page reply uh, complete with theological, Reflections and practical advice on how to do exactly that on how to pray individually and personally to the Almighty and obviously There's no chance I can share all 35 pages with you. So I encourage you to go find it on your own But I do want to share with you a few brief snippets of that letter Along with some of his thoughts on the Lord's Prayer. This is how it starts. I love the opening He writes dear master Peter I'll do my best to show you how I approach prayer and may our Lord help all of us to do better in this regard, amen. He says, first, sometimes I feel I'm becoming cold and apathetic about prayer, usually because of all the things that are distracting me and filling my mind. I know that this is a result of the flesh and the devil always warring against me and trying to prevent me from praying. When this happens, I sneak away to a quiet room And I begin to say the Ten Commandments out loud to myself and the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer. Because, as he says elsewhere, the Lord's Prayer is without question the highest and noblest and best. For if Christ had known a better one, the holy, faithful schoolmaster that he was, he would have taught us that one also. He says there is on earth no nobler prayer to be found. It is the highest under the sun. It is a wall and a bulwark of the church. A strong weapon for godly Christians, a prayer above all prayers. Great advice so far, right? And in his opening here, he not only gives a little bit of the what of prayer, he's going to give us the when. he says, this is why it's such a good idea to start your day first thing early in the morning by praying and then make it the last thing you do at the end of the day. He says this way you can prevent lying to yourself by saying, oh, I'll I'll wait a little while. I'll pray in an hour or so. Uh, But first I need to do this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer and into one affair after another, but so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that whole day. It is this very kind of thinking that will have you believe something is actually better or more important than prayer, particularly if some emergency demands your attention. Uh, And that that note in that line kind of echoes Luther's advice in his small catechism from 1529, if you're familiar with that, where Luther wrote, Therefore, from youth on up, we should form the habit of praying daily for our needs whenever we're aware of anything that affects us or other people around us. And this I say because I would like to see people learn to pray properly and not act so crudely and coldly that they daily become more adept in praying. This is exactly what the devil wants. And then further he continues. Uh, these words, our Father who art in heaven form the prayer gate through which we enter into the sanctuary. The holy place of prayer itself. What a majestic, mysterious, and wonderful portal it is as we enter we pause to look at the door of access. And to understand its beauty and significance. Oh, that we may catch a glimpse at least of what it should bring to our minds. That we should adore God before we begin to plead with him. Humanly speaking, he says, we would count it a great privilege to be admitted to the presence of some earthly monarch. We would never rush unprepared nor without some sense of what is due an exalted ruler. Much less then should we approach the king of kings without reverent appreciation of his power and of his person. And he says if we pray these words aright, right, then we approach that throne of heavenly grace with hearts mindful of the fact that he to whom we come is also our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. This is the name which we are to utter in our prayerful access to him, Abba, the Father. Trusting because we know that in his heart is all the tenderness of an infinite affection and all the strength and protection of a Father's love. He says that we fully trust in Him as Father, that all the barriers and hindrances to prayer are overthrown, and we can come confidently, knowing that His love will not be restricted by any lack of power to answer, or that in Him there is no want of wisdom to see and to decide what we need the most, and to bestow upon us all that we ought to have. He continues in the letter. And then I repeat a part of the first petition of our Lord's Prayer, or as much of it as I want. And for example, I say, hallowed be thy name. And then say something like, yes, Lord, hallowed be thy name in Make it holy among us. And throughout the whole world, destroy and root out the horror of idolatry and all false teachers. And every sectarian spirit who falsely, under your name, so terribly misuse and blaspheme convert those who are still to be converted. That they with us and we with them sanctify and praise your holy name with true and pure doctrine and good holy living. He moves on to the second petition saying, Pray then thy kingdom come. Say something like, Dear Lord, you see how the so-called understanding and wisdom of this world disgrace your name. They even give the honor to your name to lies and to the devil. You've given people the authority and power and riches to serve you, and that they set themselves up against your kingdom. There's such a great many of these, and I love Luther's words, he's, he's very colorful. He says, there's so many of these big, fat, full people who play and hinder and interfere with your humble flock, which is weak and despised and small. <laughs> but you convert those who have not yet become like little children, so that they, together with me, may serve with a right faith and a genuine love. He says, hinder those who refuse to turn from using their power to destroy you. them down from their thrones and humiliate them. Amen. And from there, Luther writes, pray the third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then say something like this. Dear Lord, though no evil can annihilate your name, yet it prowls around day and night. Cunning and deceit, always looking to stir up all kinds of scheming plots, to take counsel and whispering together, but protect us from those whose unceasing rage and fuming hatred threaten evil and desire to do harmful things. Bring their plans and their evil schemes and their methods to nothing but disgrace so that they may be trapped in themselves. The fourth petition, Luther says, Pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then in addition to our food, Luther says, and then say something like this, Dear Father, bless also our earthly life. Graciously give us the peace we cherish. Guard us in the face of war and strife. Give to all kings and princes and lords good counsel and the will to maintain their lands with security, with just laws. Grant us favorable weather. And good harvest, And then say, Father, I commend to you my house and my home, and my wife and children. Help me to lead them and raise them and educate them in a Christian way. Turning to the fifth petition, he says, Pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then say something like this Dear Lord, enter not into judgment against us, for before you no one is righteous. Not count our sins against us we stumble so many times each day more than we even know and recognize but look only on your boundless mercy that you have so graciously given us in Christ your dear son forgive all our enemies and anyone who would want to harm us or do us injustice as we forgive them in heart. Follow that he says by the sixth petition and pray and lead us not into temptation and then say something like this dear lord god and father keep us upright and alert passionate and diligent in your word and service so that we do not become lazy and sluggish keep us from thinking that we're secure or that we have everything under control and need nothing more so that the raging devil cannot overtake us by surprise and suddenly snatch us from your near word prevent us from creating divisions And divisive sex among us are leading us into other sins and disgrace, both spiritually and physically. Or rather grant to us wisdom and strength through your Holy Spirit, that we may valiantly resist the enemy and gain the victory. And of the seventh and final petition, he says, but deliver us from evil. Acknowledging, Father, this wretched life is so full of misery and calamity, of danger and uncertainty, so full of malice and faithlessness that we might rightfully grow weary of life and long for death. But dear Father, you know our frailty. So help us pass in safety through this world. And when our hour comes, in your mercy, grant us a blessed departure from this veil of tears, so that in the face of death we may not become fearful or despondent. But in firm faith, commit our souls into thy hands. Amen. Amen. And this section, I love this, this section closes with Luther's admonition. Don't forget the Amen. He says you must always speak the Amen firmly, never doubting that God in His mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. He says, never think that you're kneeling or standing alone. Rather, think that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians, are standing beside you and you're standing among them in a common, united petition, which God will not disdain. He said, don't leave your prayers without having said or thought very well. God has heard my prayer. This I know as a certainty of truth. That's what amen means. And he said, you should also know that I do not want you to merely recite all these words in your prayers. That would make it nothing more than idle chatter and prowl. As if read by rote, word for word, as it were, in the rosaries of the laity or the prayers of the priests and monks. Or rather, I do want your heart to be stirred. to be guided concerning the thoughts which ought to be comprehended in all usage of the Lord's prayer. Church, he said that because Luther rejected the medieval idea that prayer was good work, the merit of which would increase by repetition, and so he also rejected the belief that repetition would increase the likelihood that God would hear you. And so he says, therefore we have rejected the prayers of monks and priests, and I love this phrasing, he says, who howl and growl frightfully day and night, But not one of them think of asking for the least little thing for none of them has ever undertaken to pray out of obedience to God or faith in his promise or out of consideration for their own needs. They only thought it best to do a good work as payment to God, not willing to receive anything from him, but only to think that they were offering him something by their prayers. And so instead Luther says, in effect, offer up your prayers in faith. Do it in simple trust. And then he wrote in closing, he said that trust must not set a goal for God, not set a time and a place, not set the way or the means of his fulfillment, but it must entrust all of that to his will, his wisdom, and his omnipotence. Just wait cheerfully and undauntedly for the fulfillment without wanting to know the how or the where, without wanting to know how soon or how late. Or by what means? His divine will will find an immeasurably better way and method than we can imagine. And in fact, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that was just as true in Paul's day in the 1st century as it was for Martin Luther in the 16th century. And it's just as true today when we find ourselves looking for answers as to where to find comfort amidst all the unrelenting chaos that keeps us so off balance in this world. So those are the real questions of life that we wrestle with, right? And they deserve real answers. The only trouble is, though, that we never seem to be posing them the right way. Because, church, all the commentators on the left, all the pundits on the right, can't answer our worries. Celebrity gurus can't help us. The government, regardless of party, can legislate and regulate and investigate to their blue-in-the-face, but they cannot mandate a solution for our troubles. And so we need to turn and ask, as men and women have done throughout the ages, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the answer always comes back the same. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father who art in heaven. So, just quickly to recap for application: number one, address God appropriately as Father. Number two, praise God for who He is and what He's done. Number three, acknowledge that God's plan is in control and yours is not. Amen. Number four, ask God for what we need. Number five, this is so important. Confess how we've sinned and repent and have a humble heart. Number six, request God's protection and support in overcoming the evil one and his attacks on our lives because they are very real. Uh, It's not hard to see that as this church is growing closer and closer to him and people are growing closer to him that we have been under some pretty severe attack. Right? Number seven, Uh, accept that God heard you and expect an answer. Those are the starting points. Pray from the scriptures. Open the book of Psalms and pray God's word back to Him and hear him speaking back to you in the text. Lay everything at the foot of the cross and then just leave it there. And leave it there in Jesus' name. And all God's people said very firm, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to live among us, to teach us what you're like, to teach us how to address you, how to approach you, and even more, to make it possible to do that through His substitutionary sacrificial death. Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that's among us. We ask, the Lord, that there's even one here or one listening online or in the podcast later that, uh, that don't know you, that they would be surprised by the power of your presence and brought to repentance because you've told us, Lord, that your sheep hear your voice and that they will be drawn to you. Father, we ask that you would be with us this week as we go about our business, that we would be ambassadors of the gospel. And we just thank and trust your Lord, for all that you're about to do in and through us because we do ask it in Jesus' name.